coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 53 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton. I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxton, and Laura Solzano. We actually have a full house for what? The first time in over a month, is that right? Welcome yes. back, Dolores. Thanks. Happy to be back. Kevin, you're the only person that is the one constant, I guess. You just don't travel, don't leave the uh, the city. But uh, I don't leave the city. My streak is unbroken. If you like this podcast, you're used to hearing my voice. It's been on consistently for the last 46 episodes, I think. Something 53? Like well, I haven't been on all. Oh. I came on in episode 8. If you listened faithfully to the podcast, you know that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, episode 8 was my first one, and I have not missed one since. Shots fired. Also this week, uh, it was your birthday, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that matters to the listeners, but I did uh, turn a year older. Um, my cat also turned a year older as well. We have similar birthdays, so we're both celebrating this week. Also, if you've been invited to uh, our Facebook group by my cat, don't be alarmed. He is an administrator on our Facebook page. Uh, it seemed like you were more excited to celebrate your cat's birthday than you were your own. So. Not into birthdays. Yeah, well, uh, we're going to celebrate your birthday. I think we have to. Why are we all excited about getting one step closer to death? I'm not really excited about the prospect or what it brings. Uh, so, no, I'm not. I'm not really close uh, or happy about being Way to bring some that. existential fear to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk well, about death. I've been watching a lot of the RNC stuff, so I'm just filled with uh, hatred and fear. Well, don't worry, Jeremy. Jeremy will have the same similar opinions next week when the uh, the DNC turns uh, when the DNC comes to Philadelphia. But uh, we're going to get into this actually a lot later. But there were some crazy storylines emerging from the RNC this past week, and. Uh, it, Donald Trump with a 74-minute speech that was just insane. Uh, Hillary Clinton announcing her presidential uh, vice presidential running mate. And, uh, of course, the, D- the the Democrats will be in Philadelphia this week for their convention uh, with a little bit of controversy surrounding them. And that's after the uh, WikiLeaks uh, released several documents from uh, the DNC, I believe 20,000 pages worth of emails that were uh, quite damning, actually, and uh, especially offensive toward uh, Bernie Sanders supporters. And if you'll recall, Bernie Sanders was instrumental in uh, turning out a large youth vote. And so it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they respond. But uh, again, we're going to dive into that a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, before we actually, you know, move on into anything, we had mentioned that Kevin's birthday uh, took place Friday. And luckily, we desserts actually baked a cake for it. Is that right? That's that's what that's what I was told. Okay, that's a surprise to me. I hadn't heard anything about oh, damn, that, obviously. <laughs> Thanks. I'm sure it will be wonderful. We desserts. Everything they do is wonderful. Uh, anytime you have a special event at the office, maybe, or somebody's having a birthday, somebody you want to impress, get one of these really, I mean, they're, they're like works of art more than they are like cakes, but they're also delicious. But this week, uh, you know, they're always doing new stuff there. Penny is... Uh, yes. a, culinary genius I think is the term that I use and she is always cooking up new stuff and this week they have uh, not just beignets but like beignet bites little uh, little tiny beignet bites that are delicious and personal size rather than the big order beignets you can get it for three bucks so you should go and actually if you're a listener to this podcast and you tell them so you get a 10% discount so what does that work out to like uh, 270 am I right there I think you're right okay 270 plus tax uh, you so can tell g- that none of us are math people because we all kind of look at each other we're like uh, doing the math in our heads kind of carrying the one no eye contact when we're doing the math <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so go into We Desserts, 3411 Kirby. You can also email them, yes, at wedesserts.com if you have any sort of uh, order that you want to make or some sort of special event that you want to celebrate. They will be happy to hook you up with a terrific uh, culinary masterpiece. So be sure to check out We Desserts at 3411 Kirby here in Houston and tell, uh, tell Penny and Jen that the guys and the finesse queen at the Weekly Brew sent you by. You'll get 10% off of your total order. But in addition to uh, social media. How much did you say? 10%. Okay, this is yeah. 50%. <laughs> my bad, my bad, go ahead. <laughs> 
and you'll get 10% off of your total order. And uh, addition to our sponsor, We Desserts, we want to make sure that you follow us on our social media platforms. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also subscribe to our website, weeklybrewcast.com. We push all the content out there, uh, you know, essentially Sunday night and uh, into Monday morning. It's pushed straight into your inbox. So I highly recommend uh, checking that out as well. There's but, content every part of the week. We're always on Twitter. Exactly. We're always tweeting we stuff out. We are grinding. Yes, we exactly. are grinding. And of course, uh, Kevin, I, I'm actually shocked that you haven't mentioned your uh, Twitter handle this week. Well, I was going to say, that's a lot of complicated stuff you just spit out there. So if you follow me at kmichaelcook on Twitter, I'll be happy. Just DM me, slide into my DMs. I think it's what the kids are saying these days. And I'll be happy to explain to you how you find the rest of this content because it's all over the internet. It's tough. It's easiest thing to do, follow me at kmichaelcook. Or the easiest thing to do is just search weekly brewcasts on every single social media platform and you'll find it there. But, <laughs> or uh... slide into my DMs. So. Does that happen a lot? It happens a lot. Does yes. it really? Yeah. Let's break out that so phone. Let's see some of those. So sexual. Like, what, what's the deal? Have you never I don't want to expose anyone. So. so, okay. What is what is sliding into DMs? What does that mean? Like, you're gonna get into someone's DMs and like holler at them. So, like, direct messages. Direct messages. So, okay. Who gets a lot of direct messages? I'm just gonna see show hands here. I do. Actually, there's a tweet that I, I put out a long time ago about Klein basketball, Klein High School basketball. Show them warming up, and somehow that's gotten, I think, posted on a website. So now these porn accounts are are retweeting it, or quoting it, or liking it, like uh, four or five times a week. So it's actually gotten like 50 or 60 likes, whereas it had three when I originally posted it. And it's all these porn accounts. So I want to figure out where is this thing posted? That these porn accounts are getting to it, and uh, and I don't hate it, honestly. It's nice to get a little attention. But we're talking about DMs, not yeah, likes. DMs, not likes. Okay. They don't DM me. I wish they did. Okay. So, Dolores, you raise your hand about DMs? Yes. How many DMs do you get a week? Um, Maybe like five to ten. Wow. Whoa. All from the same person? <laughs> <laughs> no. I so, think every single one of my DMs has been from a spam bot offering me some sort of product or service. I'll tell you what. I do actually I think mine have a few are people. offering some kind of service. <laughs> <laughs> They're not spam. <laughs> Jokes. Okay. Next. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, uh, I actually get direct messages from people, and it's usually people that I'm friends with. Uh, I'll just get, you know, they'll send me tweets through DM, and I'm like, why don't you just text me that? Like, I, I, I don't get it. But I will because say it goes that, down in the DM. Of course, I will say that I sent Kevin a DM a few weeks ago, and this is actually when I got a new iPhone. Uh, I sent him a text because usually we text throughout the day, just brainstorming on the podcast and different show ideas. And I sent him a. I guess a DM saying, just an FYI, got a new iPhone. It's updating my updating right now. My cell will be down for a few hours. Just wanted to give you a heads up. So it's a great way to communicate or hit on Dolores, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but speaking of social media, we actually have uh, an interview with uh, Gary Patterson, the head football coach at TCU. And he actually uh, talks about recruiting. He talks about his current team and uh, how social media has essentially changed the game for him and when it comes to recruiting, reaching out to student-athletes uh, through the direct message. Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit later. Also, we have uh, David Barron on from the Houston Chronicle. He dives into the uh, the Chris Correa hacking scandal uh, that involves the St. Louis Cardinals and the Houston Astros, and a fascinating conversation with him. We also discuss Simone Biles, and if you're not familiar with her, uh, she's going to be the story of the Rio 2016 Olympics, which take place in, uh, I believe, two weeks is the opening ceremony. So uh, great stuff from David Barron and uh, Gary Patterson on this week's show. And also, as mentioned before, we're going to discuss a little bit about the RNC and the DNC, uh, you know, kind of a retrospect and perspective outlook from uh, both of the events and also Big 12 expansion and what that means for schools like U of H. And stay tuned because Gary Patterson had some interesting things to say specifically about the University of Houston. I sort of uh, backed him into a corner.
corner, I guess, but he uh, he obliged and was willing to give some encouraging stuff. And there's a lot of people talking about U of H, the Big 12. So um, this has happened before, and nothing came of it, but it just feels like there's a lot of momentum this time. So listen for that when we talk to Coach Patterson. So without further ado, we have a packed show on deck, so it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is arguably one of the best defensive minds in all of college football, a coach who has captured six conference championships in three different leagues since 2002, has won a total of 20 National Coach of the Year honors, and ranks fifth among active coaches nationally in career winning percentage. Coach Gary Patterson of TCU, we appreciate you for taking the time and out of your schedule and joining us this week. Well, it's a pleasure. We, we appreciate being on. Coach P, your Frogs were tabbed as a potential playoff contender entering the 2015 season, but suffered an unthinkable amount of injuries, but managed to finish with an impressive 11-2 record, which included a thrilling win over Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. Coach P, you have a deep and talented team, but also a young roster. As we gear up into the fall, how much confidence do you have for this upcoming season? Well, I think so. You know, one of the things, anytime, you know, we lost a lot of good players to draft. We had 11 guys get into camps, uh, five drafters, six uh, free agents. Uh, so, and like anybody else, uh, you've got to grow up. Uh, one of the positives we have that I think gives us a little confidence is that a lot of those uh, guys uh, that had injuries or we had to grow some guys up had to play a lot of the season last year. And so for us, um, you know, we come into it where we only have seven or eight seniors uh, on a roster. And so we're a very young football team, but a team that's played a lot of football. Uh, one of the positives, I think, is we play 10 games out of the 12 in the state of Texas. We play eight to seven here at in uh, Amon Carter Stadium, one over at SMU, and then we go to Baylor in Texas, but they're close enough we can take a lot of fan base. And so any every other year our, our schedule feels like that. And so being able to stay close to home, I think, helps us, you know, with a new team. If our quarterback can grow up uh, between Foster Sawyer and, and Kenny Hill, uh, grow up at offensive line, and find a young corner, then I, you know, I think we have a, we have a chance to, uh, to uh, play some pretty good football and see how it all turns out. Coach, now when I look at your roster of coaches, I see so much continuity within that staff. I mean, you've been with TCU for uh, you know almost two decades, and uh, you, when I look at you know, for example, your offensive coaching staff, you've got uh, Cumby, and then you've got Meacham, and they were both highly, I guess, coveted coaches during this past offseason, but you were able to keep them on staff, and you've had tons of continuity within that program during, I guess, your tenure at TCU. How important is that for, I guess, not only a recruiting angle, but just uh, instilling the confidence in your players that your staff is going to be there for the long haul? Well, yeah, there's not any doubt about it. It's a, it's a big deal to uh, to have, you know, going 19 years. Our first class of seniors are, you know, 40, 41 years old now. Um, so to do that, keep your coaches on your staff. I've been very fortunate. I think most people uh, don't know much about TCU. Fort Worth's an unbelievable town, and, you know, it's, uh, the people in it are great. And so, you know, not only is it conducive to good football, but also, you know, the way uh, our coaches and our players are treated um, when, they, when they're not, when they're not in the locker room, they're not on the playing field, and uh, knowing that when they, when they graduate from here that they, they have a chance to, uh, you know, settle down and, and get a job and, and live somewhere they like. And so uh, all those advantages have been big for me through the years of being able to keep coaches. And when we've lost coaches, most of the time it's uh, because they've gone on to be coordinators or head coaches like Justin Fuentes at, Tech, at Virginia Tech or David Bailiff at Rice where they have opportunities. And, you know, as a coach, that's what you want. You want your tree to uh, branch out and be a part of so that you help other be, people be successful because, you know, that because of them, you've, uh, you've been able to make a living. So uh, I've been very appreciative. 
Coach Patterson, kind of coming back to the team real quick, uh, what do you look for in a starting QB? Does it help to have two talented, driven players competing for the same position in Kenny Hill and Foster Sawyer? Yeah, in this day and age, I think you have to. You have to have two quarterbacks. You know, last year, I don't think there was any anybody in our league, I think, that uh, that didn't lose a, the starting quarterback sometime during the season. And so I think to win a championship, it's very important that that happens, that you have, every, you know, you have two guys that can run the show or three. I don't know if you look at teams uh, through the other guys that have been really successful, the ones that have had really good quarterbacks. And so for us, um, you know, let's keep keep growing those guys up and doing it. And, and this year will be no different. Uh, you you want to have everybody, but you ask the question of how you judge them. I, I judge them by um, how they do on Saturday. Um, we had a quarterback uh, when we first started, and, you know, every Tuesday he got fired. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but he was 19-2 and two as a starter. And, you know, when our starter got hurt, we would have never known about him. He had to come in, led us to five drives. It would be um, BYU 51-50, to 50, and everybody knows who Jeff Ballard is now. But, you know, he just, you know, on Tuesdays, he just wasn't a very good – he just wasn't a very good practice player. But he turned in on game day. He was an unbelievable uh, general. And so I learned a long time ago is, is find out what they can do on Saturdays. Usually you find that out a little bit in scrimmages and uh, find the guy that everybody around him plays better. And you find the guy when the offense runs better when he's on the field is the guy that we need. Coach P, at Big 12 Media Day, you said you were more excited now than you were a season ago. What's gotten you so excited about this upcoming season? I've always been excited about the unknown when, you know, uh, people don't pick us aside. And, and, you know, we have a lot of kids, I think, this year that have grown up uh, – our program seems to handle a lot better when we're not Texas high, when people don't think as much of us. Uh, we play a lot better with our back against the wall. Um, and I think just watching the way they worked out the summer, that's kind of the way they approached it, um, that you know that we know that we have some unknowns and we're going to have to grow up and we're going to have to become – we're going to have to get a lot better in one month, which here in August. So, um you know, that gives me a lot of energy, knowing that, you know, you, when you have kids that want to walk on the field and they they want to be as good as what you want to be and they want to work as hard as what you want to work, as a coach, that, you know, that, that puts a smile on your face even after 34 years. And so uh, you want to make sure you don't let them down, and so it gives me a lot of energy. Well, if you'll indulge me, Coach, I'm a U of H guy myself, and uh, you guys are at the center of a uh, whirling Big 12 expansion talk uh, maelstrom that is getting me really excited. Uh, I'm curious, you mentioned uh, in the Big 12 media days that you guys are doing all this to give yourselves a chance to get into the playoffs. So whatever you do, the Big 12, it's okay as long as that's what the goal is. It's the only criteria you said that you think works. Are there teams that you think uh, do work to serve that goal better, and are you also excited about this time uh, potentially adding some new teams to the competition in the Big 12? Well, you know, I'm not because I'm I'm trying to win ball games. So really, to be honest with you, I haven't looked into it. Obviously, Houston was part of the Southwest Conference, and so you have you have a group that that's proven that they fit in the league before. Uh, they build a new stadium. I, mean, I was telling somebody the other day. It's to me, you, you're going to pick somebody, find somebody that's doing things right now, just like we did. We were building a new stadium, new facilities. Show that they want to grow and they want to they want to make the league better, not just become part of the league. Houston's obviously a team that. Uh, new stadium and, you know, Coach Herman and all the things they're trying to get accomplished, they're, they're doing all the above. And so, uh, to me, if they decide to expand, those are the kind of teams that I would say that we need that we need part of what we do. We need teams and, and programs and universities that want to that grow. And, you know, because TCU has been one of those that every building on this campus has been knocked down. 
uh, refurbished or build a new building. So not only on the athletic side are we trying to win national championships, but they're trying to win national championships on the academic side. And I think uh, when you get you get that kind of vision from a uni- from a university, you're going to have an opportunity to be successful. You, you bounce around from conference to conference, and since you joined the Big 12 a few years ago, you've had a lot of success. How important has that been in terms of going out on the recruiting trail and in, in selling that to recruits, not only your long history and continuity as a coach, but just that you're in a Power 5 conference now? Well, yeah, you know, when we weren't in the conference, we were winning. It was, well, they win, but they don't play anybody. That was what everybody said. Uh, then we got in the conference. Well, if they win again in the conference, well, now, you know, they're not going to win. Now we've proven that we can win. You know, I think we will just keep building. Everybody else in, in the league has been recruiting and had the financial backing of the league from the beginning. So for us, we're, you know, we're catching up, but we're going to do it slowly and not try to uh, do anything that, that would, would uh, hurt our foundation. I think the biggest key is to grow something. So when we get to where we want to get to, uh, that we have a strong enough foundation we can hold is kind of like our um, our motto this year is stand our ground. You know we've we've gone 23 and three the last two seasons, and what we're trying to get accomplished within that is is to make sure that uh, that we can keep winning, and and we've got to do that by turning the page. We got a lot of young players, and they've got to turn the page from thinking that they're young and and acting like they're old. And so, you know, we put a, probably 80 percent of our thought process into uh, those kind of things more than we do X's and O's. How do we get young people to grow up and become who they need to become? Because, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate uh, thing you're trying to get accomplished is win games, but help a young, young guy grow up and become between 22 and 62, become successful. How does he go on with the rest of his life? And, um, you know, if you keep that, if you keep that management model, I've always, anywhere I've ever been, it's always, it's always worked because we haven't just tried to worry about tomorrow. We've worried about, you know, a long ways down the road. Now, Coach P, as a Baylor grad, I'm really excited to see you guys play this year. Um, but there is a little bit of uncertainty for us. Uh, three of us on the show went to Baylor, and so we were really excited to see Jim Grove named as head coach. Um, you've served with him on the ethics committee and said during Big 12 media days that you've traveled together. Uh, what can you tell us about him as a coach? Well, number one, him and his wife, both, are, they're really good people. Um, I'm sure uh, Coach Taft had a lot to do with <clears throat> Jim Grove coming back. Um, but Jim Grove is, is a really good football coach. Um, I'm sure he's smart enough that he, you know, within as far as how they do things football wise on the field and all of it, he probably uh, let them because they've been very successful at Baylor doing what they do. And so he will manage that. And, you know, and so for uh, me, one of the things he's going to do is he's a great listener. And when you're a great listener, then you, you know, you're going to solve your problems as you go. He's a great manager of people and he cares about people. And I think the, the thing that you'll get out of Jim Grove is you'll have a guy that, that's going to listen to Baylor's needs <clears throat> going to help help them grow as a football team and, and on all other fronts. And uh, if you can do that, then you're going to give yourself a chance to be successful. Coach P, word around the street is that you're an amazing guitarist and that you play the guitar for your recruits. What is your favorite song to play? Well, you know, you know one thing about playing music is like your own cooking. You only have to cook well enough to eat it. You only have to play well enough for you to listen to it. <laughs> you know, my problem is I love to play the guitar and, and – uh, I do it because I love to sing, and uh, you know when coaching, we're always yelling, doing things. So about half the half the, the, the year, I don't get an opportunity to. Uh, it's not much singing going on during the season, but uh, you know I, I'm one of those guys that I grew up on uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s music, and then also country, and so I play by ear. And so it's like a couple years ago, I got up and played for uh, the Dallas Alumni Base for about 
30 minutes and, you know, do things. But I love, you know, I like doing those kind of things. Uh, you know, we scuba dive, you know, go outside of, try to become a real person, have to get out of all this uh, 18 hours a day of coaching, doing it seven days a week. So uh, it's a lot of fun for me. Coach, we appreciate you taking the time and joining us this week on the Weekly Brew Podcast. And uh, we know that you guys have a, a tough September coming up with South Dakota State, uh, Arkansas, and Iowa State. Uh, then also the game against SMU. And uh, we wish you the best of luck this season uh, during those games as well as Big 12 play. But uh, you're pretty active on social media. Uh, for those that are kind of uh, interested in following uh, a different side of you online, what is the best way for them to connect with you? Relationship with uh, campus. So I talk to you know, a, lot of the, a lot of the kids on campus I talk to. Twitter, you know, they need something or they have questions or whatever that if I can answer. And, uh, you know, it's a way for me to DM and, and, and deal with recruits when it's, you know, when they're of a certain age where you can talk to them. So it's it's a way for them to reach out. I I also follow a lot because I always thought it was kind of egotistical that if you had, X and, you know, a lot of kid people following you that uh, and you only follow the few. So, you know, I, I think I follow like 15,000 people on Twitter and uh you know, for me, I also use it for recruiting, so I see who everybody else is recruiting and, and uh, what they're doing and, and everything that's going on. So uh, it's been a lot. I find more out by before 7 o'clock in the morning because of the news on there than I ever did uh, anywhere else. So uh, it's been a lot of it's, – uh, it's been important to me. Yeah, social media has definitely uh, been a game changer, uh, not only in college athletics, but in professional sports as well. And if you're not following Coach Patterson on Twitter, I highly recommend you do so uh, to search for him at TCU Coach P. And uh, Coach Patterson, we appreciate you for joining us this week on the Weekly Brew Podcast, and uh, best of luck this season. Not a problem at all, and uh, good luck to you guys too. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Great stuff from Coach Gary Patterson just a few moments ago, and we thank him for joining us on the podcast. But one of the things that we mentioned to him was Big 12 expansion. And as you'll recall, we've had uh, several discussions on the podcast about Big 12 expansion, whether or not we thought it would happen. I think after interviewing uh, David Ubbin uh, a few months ago, back in May, we believed that uh, Big 12 expansion was not going to happen. And uh, I believe several people even at the start of last week in Big 12 Media Days, believed expansion was not going to happen. And I believe it was Tuesday or Wednesday of last week, uh, the Big 12, I guess, presidents were meeting. And uh, a lot of people believed that when they had their press conference at 4.30 that afternoon, that they were going to make some sort of announcement about Baylor regarding the, uh, the scandal that has ridden that school. But in fact, it was to announce that uh, the Big 12 is actually open to expansion, not only for two teams to get back to 12, which would make sense with you know the actual name of the league, uh, but they announced that expansion could possibly reach 14 teams for the league. And that just seemed to be a, a major curveball uh, thrown to us by the Big 12 presidents. And uh, one of the schools that has been getting a lot of attention uh, this past week as a result of that has been the University of Houston. We've had uh, Governor Greg Abbott uh, we've had uh, Finvez has spoken for the University of Texas uh, system that uh, they would like U of H to become a member. Texas Tech president has said that U of H would be a good candidate. So it seems that all of the state's public schools are rallying behind uh, the Cougars and uh, President Couture and what she's done with the university. So I kind of want to throw this out to you all. Um, one, do you think expansion is a good idea? And two, is U of H 
essentially going to be the team, one of the four teams that gets the call. Oh, it should be. Uh, there's no question that U of H deserves to be there. I think a lot's been made of the fact that the media market doesn't help them, that they're recruiting against their own teams and so forth. But really, at the end of the day, what makes a conference good is the level of competition you have within it. And the, the more good teams you have, the better the level of play, the better the conference is as a whole. So I understand that it can be a bit painful to add an in-state rival that, at least at this point in time, has the ability to play up to your level. But if UT has turned that corner, I mean, they've been traditionally a huge hurdle to us joining. They were a huge hurdle to initially joining the Southwest Conference as well. So I want to get the band back together. I think it's good for everyone. Um, a lot of UH folks I know have almost taken the attitude of like begging or pleading, like we really want to be there. The Big 12 could use us. We would honestly be a major valuable asset to them. And I think that, that uh, because it's such a buyer's market, um, really kind of goes unnoticed sometimes. So I think that if U of H does not get asked in, that is a travesty. I mean, obviously you got the governor saying the same thing. I've never been on the same side of anything as the governor and the lieutenant governor as well. So it's weird to, to be sharing this platform with them. But yeah, U of H is the logical choice. Um, a lot of momentum for it here, but this has happened before as well. So uh, U of H tends to get left out in the cold a lot. And we'll see if it happens again. On Saturday, it's worth noting that the uh, University of Connecticut president, who is uh, you know pushing for acceptance into the Big 12 Conference, um, essentially took a shot at U of H. Mm-hmm. Um, he compared the athletic budget for UConn, which is currently around 76 to $78 million, and he compared that to U of H saying, look, you know they're at $45 million. Like If you want an actual uh, athletic department that's going to bring in revenue, don't look at U of H. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting. And also there's the aspect of potentially bringing in football-only schools. I was just about to say that. There's the football-only option, which would work for schools like BYU, maybe in Connecticut, uh, possibly Cincinnati. And that way, that limits uh, traveling costs for the other athletic programs that can remain in their sort of regional conferences. So I thought that was really interesting. I I think if... um, the conference expands by four members. I'd say U of H is in. I think if it's if it's by two, I'd say a school like BYU, Connecticut, or Cincinnati is uh, more likely to come in. But again, this is all speculation at this point. There is a big push in Texas um, and with the University of Texas, which I think is odd because it seems like that that would jeopardize UT's recruiting base um, by uh, you know allowing U of H in here. So I I, I don't know. It's, this is all. I'm I'm just sort of taking this all in. Um, but there does seem to be a lot of momentum behind U of H. I'd say as a Baylor fan, I'm self-interested. I don't want U of H to be in the conference because I want uh, Tom Herman to come to Baylor. Right. And if Tom Herman is the head coach at U of H when they get the promotion of the Big 12 Conference, then I don't oh, see Herman no leaving. leaving. Yeah, yeah, there's no way he's leaving, especially to a school like Baylor. I mean, he might he might move to a you know a bigger blue blood. But if he's in a Power 5 conference, why would he go? But uh, one of the other schools that I potentially look at if we go the football only route would be Boise State. I mean, granted, they have terrible academics, um, but if you're looking for, uh, an, you know, a, an upgrade in a football program, that could be an option. I mean, they recruit well in the state of Texas. But one thing to note, any school that gets added to the Big 12 has to be approved by eight of the 10 league presidents. And there's a lot of rumors out there right now that the Texas schools are sort of sticking together. And I think that we can see that with uh, you, you can kind of group in Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to that that mix. It's the schools like Iowa State, Kansas, West Virginia, those schools that don't necessarily want any more expansion within the state of Texas, because not only is, uh, you know, a power five school like U of H going to hinder the recruiting of, you know, your Baylor's, your TCU's, your Texas's, uh, it's going to significantly hinder the amount of recruits that Iowa State can come in and get from the state of Texas, because, you know, they're not going to get those top tier recruits from the state. They're going to get those second, third and fourth tier but now U of H is going to take those guys too. So that's kind of an interesting scenario. And it, it, like you have all alluded to, 
the narrative from the University of Texas right now is fascinating, just flip-flopping within a matter of months. Oh, it's, yeah. And well, and also, let's think, let's not forget that West Virginia is out there by itself. I mean, West Virginia, and I know from fans that I've talked to for years, has wanted a regional rival, even if it's someone who's kind of far away in Cincinnati. Um, they would like someone who's out there with them so they don't feel like the odd man out of the Big 12, which is kind of what they are right now, along with Iowa State. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's going to be, it's going to be strange to see what happens in the next few months. Yeah, it's interesting to see the, uh, the the travel partners, and you know, uh, the Big Twelve Conference a few years ago could have added Louisville, but they, you know, went with West Virginia instead. And I, I kind of wonder if I kind of wonder if they regret that decision. But uh, U of H has been lobbying for a position in the Power Five Conference, specifically the Big Twelve, getting home with their uh, Texas brethren. And uh, Kevin, I, I know you've been kind of hesitant to want to jump on board and believe this is actually true. I mean, what what are your thoughts, and do you think that this could actually happen? It makes so much sense that I can't believe that it's going to happen. Uh, just the way that these college athletics work, it's uh, it's I've had my heart crushed a lot, and uh, it seems to never work out for U of H. So I've got a little bit of that, what is it, little brother syndrome, I guess, kind of looking up to UT and those other schools, and, uh, and it just... I don't know. I'm still not hopeful. I hear all these things and it's great. And I sort of bitterly, uh, bittersweetly listen to these comments from all these state officials and school officials talking about how UH needs to be in there. And we'll uh, we'll see if it happens. I'm not optimistic. Well, another big news this past week, uh, Donald Trump had his Republican convention in Ohio, and uh, that was just an absolute craziness. How about his wife's speech? Yeah, and that's actually one of the things that I find ironic is the media spent four days trashing uh, Melania Trump for plagiarizing a speech, uh, but they're not covering right now the DNC leaks, which is actually damning to a party. And uh, Melania Trump's going to have nothing to do with you know the president. She, she wants to stay out of the spotlight. You know, she actually said that she was uh, you know, that she admires Michelle Obama. And, you know, sure, her speechwriter should not have plagiarized. That's rule number one. But uh, plagiarism actually happens a lot when it comes to um, campaigns. Yeah, it happens all the time. Uh, but it's just when it's on that sort of spotlight, it just gets exemplified a little bit more. But uh, I, the problem that I have is the media spent so much time covering that. But when it comes to uh, the DNC leaks, they're not saying a word because a lot of times they are actually implicated in those documents, in those leaked papers. But uh, we'll get into that in just a second. But uh, Tim Kaine, who is actually a United States senator from Virginia, was named as the uh, running mate for Hillary Clinton on Saturday. And uh, there's a lot of uh, a kind of uh, excitement that I was seeing on Twitter saying uh, perhaps we could just have Pence and Kane uh, run for president and just kind of throw out Clinton and uh, Trump. And uh, I, I think that would probably, uh, I guess, kind of bring a little bit of excitement to the people that have been so, I don't know, there's so much animosity surrounding, disaffected, disaffected by the two presidential candidates. That's a great word. Uh, but I'm kind of curious just from... All of your reactions, Jimmy. I'm going to start with you since uh, you're obviously a Republican. What were your impressions from the RNC? If you go back historically uh, with conventions, uh, you look at Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan. Uh, Reagan did not endorse Ford. Uh, so that's not unlike Ted Cruz not endorsing Donald Trump. Uh, so it was not the crazy um, crap show that everyone was painting it to be. However, that being said, um, I think the cherry on top for me and how bad it actually was for me as a conservative came with Donald Trump's speech. He railed uh, for 72, 74 minutes about how he wants to limit trade and had all these odd talking points that I just thought were so off base with what 
uh, you know, makes Republicans Republicans. And so, um, I mean, I, the, all the talk about trade, I mean, he wants to take us back to the 1930s when we had this giant wall around our country with regards to free trade. And that's just not how the global economy works anymore. Literally so, and figuratively. Yeah, literally and figuratively. So it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if anyone understands this, but I mean, that $12 toaster that a low-income family wants to buy from Walmart under a Trump plan might be $20 or $25. That makes a big difference. I mean, the reality is the American economy has changed. We're not a manufacturing country anymore. We're a service industry-oriented economy. And so I, Trump just displays this profound ignorance of this, either willingly um, or ignorantly. And so I, I have a really hard time reconciling uh, the vision that he wants to bring to the Republican Party with what the Republican Party has historically been to me. So I'm... Um, Apart from that, if, if I'm looking at the choices that I have as a conservative in this election, I have what uh, Trump is, and he, to me, seems like a post-war Teamster Democrat uh, versus a new wave progressive Democrat. So my choices are actually pretty limited. I, there was The only bright spot I had from his speech was that he wanted to appoint a conservative to the Supreme Court, and that's about it. Now, something else that's kind of interesting to this is that there was an article in the New York Times about... Um, the Trump campaign had approached the Kasich campaign and potentially tabbed Kasich to be the VP under the pretense that Kasich would essentially run the country while Trump was just like the boss in charge. So uh, I thought that was interesting, which might mean that Mike Pence could play a more active role as a vice president in determining domestic policy than Trump would, which I actually be fine with. Yeah, I, I think right now it's 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 going to be interesting to see how close this race actually is in November. And we look at the uh, Real Clear Politics on Saturday. They released a uh, kind of a, an aggregate of all the different polls out there, and it had uh, Trump within two and a half points nationally of Hillary Clinton. I think part of that is also because of a bump after the conventions that you typically see. But uh, I think the Re Republican Party right now is in complete disarray, and I, I, I was not a fan of Trump's seventy-four minute speech. And uh, to me, the ironic thing is the Republican Party always runs on a platform of less government and smaller government and government staying out of your lives. And uh, for Donald Trump, it seemed like he wanted to consolidate power and almost make it about a, a me administration saying the government can fix this. And so to me, it was kind of funny to hear all of the delegates cheer when he was saying that. I'm like, he's going against your own party's platform. Like, what are you, what are you thinking right now? So for me as a voter, I, I can't vote for Donald Trump. I will not vote for Donald Trump. So that leaves me with a few options. That leaves me with either Hillary Clinton or a guy like Gary Johnson, uh, who I'm probably leaning toward Gary Johnson right now, or potentially writing in a guy like Paul Ryan. Uh, but I can't vote for uh, I can't vote for Donald Trump as a Republican. But one thing that I do want to note before we move on to the DNC is that David Duke, who you'll recall is a uh, the former, I guess, a leader of the Ku Klux Klan, he actually announced that he was going to run uh, for office this past week, which is insane. He'll do well among Republicans. <laughs> well, here's the funny part. Uh, Rince Priebus, who is the uh, the chair of the RNC, tweeted out, David Duke and his hateful bigotry have no place in the Republican Party, and the RNC will never support his candidacy under any circumstances. Uh, then there was actually a, a tweet from a reporter who you know, retweeted that with a comment and said, um, did you watch your own convention? <laughs> so I think there is a, a lot of I guess animosity right now towards uh, the Republicans and uh, you know propping up a presidential candidate, and I, that's what I will say about Ted Cruz is I, I'm not a fan of Ted Cruz, but I do respect what he did uh, during his speech. It outshined his speech on th on Wednesday night, and he said, "Vote with your conscience." He did not back Donald Trump like a lot of these politicians have. And they've essentially been caving, whether it's trying to get in the spotlight, trying to gain a, a potential um, job in his in a potential Trump administration. Uh, the Republican Party is, you know, 
caving to Donald Trump. And it was nice to see at least Cruz take a stand. It's amazing to me because I never thought that with Kasich and Cruz that I would have occasion to be, again, on the same side of an issue with them. It feels really weird. But it just goes to show that they are more than uh, machines that are trying to oppress women or oppress uh, gay couples or restrict the rights of people. They are human beings, too. And they were touched by the weirdness of this uh, Republican nomination and everything that goes along with it. And I find myself uh, looking at them thinking like that was a reasonable response. Kasich not being in attendance. And, uh, and I thought Cruz's speech was um, as funny as you can get without being a funny person. He's not a funny person at all. He's sort of a slimy weasel. But but it was still, he played it perfectly and it was fun to watch and it was entertaining. Well, it's, uh, if you look at Cruz, I mean, I was a big Ted Cruz supporter and I was extremely proud of what he did. Um, there are a lot of people slamming him like, you know, you're, how could you do this? You know, you're not endorsing Trump. He's better than Hillary, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, how could you endorse a guy that slandered your wife? multiple times not only that but he implicates your father in the assassination of jfk which he did again he did it again after and that's the guy that the republican party has put up as the nominee for president of the united states of america yes it is totally insane so people you know holding up ted cruz to the fire being like you know why didn't why didn't you just bite your lip and do it i wouldn't do it i wouldn't do it absolutely not and so no i i think ted cruz whether or not Donald Trump is elected, I still think he walks away a better man. And I think I think Ted Cruz right now is positioning himself for a run in 2020. I think he I think that he uh, he knows that Donald's not going to get elected, and so what he was doing is trying to tell Republicans don't vote for him, vote for Gary Johnson. Like, uh, but yeah, it, it's completely interesting. And in, in, in terms of uh, the DNC, uh, that is actually taking place this week in Philadelphia. Kind of leading up to it, there was some big news. Hillary Clinton obviously announcing uh, Tim Kaine as her running mate for vice president. And uh, that was kind of overshadowed by the uh, the WikiLeaks documents that were released. We touched on this at the the top of the show, but 20, more than 20,000 documents were leaked uh, by WikiLeaks. And uh, it's just to me, if you've actually read some of the documents, they were pretty damning, especially when it comes to uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, there were uh, documents essentially saying, you know, Bernie Sanders ran on the campaign slogan, essentially, that they, uh, the campaign is rigged against me. Like, I, I don't have a shot at winning because of the DNC. Well, documents actually prove that was the case. Uh, they, you know, they called him an atheist. They, you know, were trying to do whatever they could uh, to make sure that he did not win that Democratic nomination. And uh, some of the other leaked documents that came out were essentially placing Hispanics and the LGBTQ community as objects and commodities for the Democratic Party. Yeah, and, there's there was some talk about like Hispanic brand loyalty yeah, or something, it, which I mean, it's it, it pretty pretty demeaning. I mean, I, I guess if you're a marketer and you're just talking that language, that's one thing, but it, it's it, it sounds really bad. Is it worse to call them all rapists? though? well, no, it's yeah, that's what Donald Trump, you know, essentially said uh, when he announced his campaign back in June 2015. But that's the problem is the Democratic Party is trying to make it seem like they are on the moral high ground. And they've been doing that for years. But these documents prove that they're just using people as a means to an end. And I guess that's the political system. That's the two party system that we actually live in. And that's why me as a voter right now, I, I just I'm not happy about this November. Yeah, I guess, but the end is better, too. So it's not great that people are being used as a means to an end, but that's politics. No one's surprised by the content of these emails, I don't think. No reasonable person saw these and went, oh, my God, is that true? It's very obviously what was going on from the beginning. So it's, uh, no one's shocked by this. Bernie Sanders isn't shocked by this. He said he was disappointed, uh, as I'm sure you know most uh, Democrats would be. But this is just business as usual. But 
there's still a difference. I mean, the, the means to the end, the end is better from the Democratic perspective, at least in my point of view. As someone who studied the after effects of LBJ's Great Society, I, I completely disagree. I mean, this rhetoric has been a long-standing feature of the Democratic Party in using minorities and uh, you know so-called marginalized groups as tools and means to an end, not really acting in their best interest, but what's in the best interest of the party. So I, I, I mean, look, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. Um, I, I'm actually sort of interested to see how this affects the convention um, with uh, along with the sort of negative reaction to Tim Kaine as Hillary's VP pick you know he was sort of uh, he's been propped up as sort of this moderate but um, if you look at Hillary's strategy she really needed the Bernie vote uh, with her VP pick and yeah, I, I think was, I was surprised that someone like Elizabeth Warren wasn't chosen as a yeah. well and, well not only that but the, one of the Castro brothers uh, you, you know Julian Castro yeah Julian Castro Born but he yeah. right but he sabotaged his candidacy because he violated uh, some FEC regulations yeah yeah well he yeah he was campaigning in an official capacity so uh, but I, I'm I'm interested to see what the Democrats do you know uh, Tim Kaine actually is not a, a real bad guy. I, I don't find him as appalling as some of the other uh, candidates that she should have, she could have chosen. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. He's pro energy. He's for offshore drilling off the East Coast, which is something that you don't see from a lot of uh, Democrats. So uh, I actually like the pick. I think that it's interesting when you look at both of the the vice presidential candidates. They were essentially safe picks. They weren't anyone that was high risk. It was essentially both Hillary and Trump saying this is going to be a campaign about Hillary and Trump. We're not going to have our VPs essentially in there. So it's going to be an, you know, us first them mentality. And I, I'm really, really looking forward to these debates. They are going to be off the wall. They're not going to be following protocol as usual. Um, but I think it's going to be fascinating to see uh, essentially what happens as we lead up to the uh, November election. And uh, I, I don't know, it, it's it's history happening in front of our eyes right now. And, and to me, it's absolutely fascinating. I'm not a huge fan of either candidate, but this is a historic election uh, for the United States. And as it being a historic election, I want to kind of wrap with one final thing. Uh, we are a Houston-based podcast, covers a lot of sports. Astros right now are the hottest team in baseball since uh, the middle of May. Uh, they are playing lights out right now. And one of the questions that I have for you guys, if you could trade an Astros World Series championship for one term of Donald Trump in office, would you? There's two ways to look at this. Like one term of Donald Trump is bad, but is it as bad as two terms? Which this con this country is dumb enough to vote Donald Trump to two terms as a president, I think. So you could kind of look at this uh, either as, you know, sort of uh, keeping him out of office for that second one, which would be like a, a safe, like a stopgap, or do you actually want Trump in office at all? So I think there's still a good chance Trump does not win the presidency, but there seems to be some sort of weird, uh, regressive momentum from what I consider to be the dumbest parts of this country uh, sort of propelling him. So it might almost... I'm might almost just take on a handshake one term period without the Astros even winning just one single term in order to ensure that he's out of office but but to take the question in the spirit in which it's given here um, I would say no there's there's nothing uh, in the world of sports that is worth sabotaging the world of political reality for the lives that we live Tom Herman stays at U of H for 10 years U of H gets into the big 12 and U of H goes to college playoff this year and wins a championship within the next five. Would you trade all of that for one term of Donald Trump? No, there's there's nothing in the world. And I love U of H. Obviously, I'm a U of H alum. Uh, both my parents went there. I mean, there's a long legacy. I worked for the school, got my start uh, with the Daily Cougar. You know, that's how I became a journalist. There's, there's a lot of love there. There's probably more than most people, I think, even with their alma mater. But there is, yeah, there's nothing you could do um, that would that would make me 
want Donald Trump for even you know the briefest period of time as the leader of this country. I think it signals something sinister and something dark, and I want no part of it. Dolores, what about you? Yeah, I'm right there with Kevin. Like I wouldn't. I love the Astros, but I wouldn't trade a championship uh, for Donald Trump to have one year of presidency here. In the- one term of Hillary Clinton for a Baylor national championship in football. I was thinking about this because you asked me this question yesterday. Um, I would take a Baylor dynasty. Like we're talking like 10 titles in a row for uh, one term of Hillary Clinton. That I can live with. But for one measly national championship, I just can't do it. No way. No, people forget the national champions of the 80s and the 90s. They don't forget 10 straight titles in a row, which, you know, that would be amazing. I would take, I I would take, I would trade, I would, uh, I, I would, I would be Judas for a moment. And yes, I would trade 10 national titles in a row for Baylor for one term Hillary Clinton. But might I add, we're talking about, you know, the, the country and how allegedly dumb it is. This is the same country that put Obama in office twice. So, you know, the, the, Politics is like a pendulum; it swings back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the smart six on and the dumb takes uh, on. <laughs> no, no, I, I completely. Well, it, it depends on how you look at it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, on the other hand, I do have a hard time trading um, political reality for sports glory. But yeah, I, and I, I do bleed green and gold. But not really. You said ten. You signed right on the dotted line. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Ten sounds like a good round number. But eh, let's make it twenty. Why not? <laughs> so what you're saying is you'll compromise your principles. It just takes enough of a victory. <laughs> Every man has his price. So how tip to you, uh, Alvin Tran, for giving us that idea. But uh, interesting week. Uh, coming up with the DNC. So we'll probably report back on that uh, next week as well. But uh, fascinating conversation, guys. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Now joining us on The Weekly Brew podcast is perhaps one of my favorite Twitter follows, and that's David Barron, a reporter for the Houston Chronicle. He reports on sports, media, uh, college football, and one of the things that I'm most fascinated about right now is the Olympics. Uh, David, one of the things that you've reported on recently has been the Chris Correa uh, hacking scandal that has impacted both uh, you know, the Houston Astros as well as the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Correa was just sentenced this past week to 46 months in, in, in prison, and I'm curious... What was your reaction when you first heard that not only the Astros were being hacked, but it was done by a former National League Central foe? And what is the fallout going to be from this uh, Korea scandal? Well, not much surprises uh, surprises me anymore. Uh, we hear so much about technology. It was probably only natural that uh, this technology is, has uh, increased its role in sports. Uh, the abuse of technology would increase its role in sports. So this was probably inevitable that something like this would happen. Uh, in, term, term, in, term, in terms of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 as I said, the, the surprise element wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't that much. In terms of the fallout, that remains to be seen. Uh, Major League Baseball has, has repeatedly said that uh, it will wait. It would wait until uh, the uh, sentencing to uh, Christopher Correa to decide what it would do to the Cardinals, if anything. Uh, I presume that some sort of a discipline is, is on the way. Uh, I'm not sure to what degree uh, MLB will be able to get access to uh, uh, federal court documents. A lot of the things that. Uh, uh, were discussed during uh, the sentencing hearing uh, were taken from a sealed document that I've not seen, and I'm presuming that, uh, that I'm not sure if Major League Baseball will be able to see it either. So I, th- I think that the the, uh, the comment was made by the U.S. Attorney, uh, Ken Madgetson, after the uh, the hearing uh, uh, this week was that uh, MLB will have to go through an open records request, as anybody else would, to get the details on the uh Investigation. I presume the Astros will have things that they can share with the uh, 
with the MLB as well, if they've not already done so. So uh, uh, your guess is as good as mine in terms of what uh, what time frame will be in terms of when this will be announced and what the uh, what the what the impact will be on the Cardinals. So Correa originally made some noise about the Astros possessing proprietary information. I guess that was the uh, ostensible justification for his digging around in their files. That disappeared when he was giving his apology uh, to the Astros and to uh, his family. Uh, do you know what benefit would it possibly have been to the Cardinals to hack the Astros in the first place? What benefit? Obviously, you basically you you, you learn what your what your opponents are doing. It's uh, the the uh, the, uh, the potential benefit was was considerable. It's, it would be like. Uh, uh, like Company A basically doing industrial espionage on Company B. That's essentially what it was. This was industrial espionage. Uh, basically, you, you gain improper access into a, a computer system, and you basically know what your opponents know and get an in- indication about what they want to do. So perhaps you could beat, either beat them to the punch or, or counter them or somehow take advantage of uh, uh, on behalf of your team, this would be like Ford hacking Chevrolet or, or U.S. Steel hacking Bethlehem Steel. If Bethlehem Steel still exists, I don't know if it does. <laughs> but it's it's it's, it's essentially it's, it's it's the same thing. It's uh, just done in a different uh, in a different way than uh, than uh, perhaps industrial espionage was done in the past. This that was tra- crossed over to sports from industry. Is this maybe more prevalent than we think? Like, could this be the tip of the iceberg? And then kind of as a, an adjunct to that, do you think this sentence acts as an effective deterrent against this sort of thing happening in a more widespread fashion? I think that the uh, the, the prosecutors were very much trying to send a message to anyone that uses uh, electronic means to gain an economic advantage. That was something that uh, uh, the U.S. attorneys mentioned specifically, that the, uh, the government will prosecute all sorts of these cases uh, if they're able to do so. Uh, and this sentence was at the high end of uh, of what the sentencing guidelines would have been for an offense of this kind. So uh, uh, the mag- the maximum sentence would have been would have been five years. Uh, but on five counts, the sentences would have would have been served concurrently. So the maximum would have been would have been 60 months. And the uh, probably the upper end of the federal sentencing guideline would have been 48 months. And he got 46 months. So he he got nailed pretty good. Well, I know the uh, the actual damages assessed were $1.7 million, and that was for, um, I believe it was five incursions, I saw it called in the documents, but there were actually something like 60 incursions, and you in an article that you wrote estimated the property damage uh, as between like maybe $15 million and $20 million. How do you assign that numeric value to uh, to the damages there? Because I think that's fascinating to come up with that number. Those numbers were reached by the uh, by the uh, by the prosecutor in terms of determining what the damages were, and a lot of that was basically sort of bookkeeping to determine what impact they would want the uh, damages to have on the sentencing guideline formula. Uh, I'm sure that the Astros might have come up with a different number for what uh, the damage estimate was. I believe that uh, Michael Chu, who was the lead prosecutor in this case, basically did it with a, his own formula, applying the uh, Number the five uh, the five incursions that he was uh, putting in the criminal information and basically doing some sort of formula of, of those five incidents and the uh, and what the Astros annual scouting budget was. So those are numbers that I don't think that we'll, that we'll, we'll, that we'll we will have access to and and the uh, the fifteen you know, twelve million fifteen million who knows who knows what the actual damage total is uh, and you could almost make the argument that. 
whatever the Astros' total scouting budget is, they could say that was the damage that was done because that's that's what Correa had access to. He basically had everything to access to everything that the Astros knew. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the punishment uh, that MLB actually assigns. But, uh, David, one of the things that you do is you cover the sports media. And when I look at the other high-profile, I guess, court case that kind of has taken sports headlines this summer, and that's Tom Brady and the four-game suspension that he has agreed to not appeal to the Supreme Court. Now, why is something like uh, Tom Brady, who essentially had a, uh, you know, broken equipment rule, why is that getting such bigger headlines than this Chris Correa situation, which it involves two Major League Baseball teams and an actual federal crime? I presume it's just because it's the NFL, and the, the, the NFL is the most popular sport in the country, uh, uh, at, least, at least in terms of its television audience, that, and, and the Patriots have been the most, been the, the dominant program, uh, dominant team in the, the league uh, for most of the last decade. I, I, I can't think of any other reason. Uh, it's just, it's just, a, just a, ma- a, matter, a matter of popularity, perhaps a matter of personalities. Uh, everyone knows who Tom Brady is when we were first starting to do Christopher Correa stories. No one knew who Christopher Correa was. When you would mention Correa alone without the first name, people would panic and think you were talking about Carlos. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, if you use, you could even use C Correa because they, the both names begin with. So you have to use Christopher Correa over and over again if you were tweeting things about this, or you throw people into panic that they would think that Carlos Correa was being charged with something. But uh, I, I, I think that's probably the case. The fact that uh, everyone knows Tom Brady, everybody knows uh, Bill Belichick, everyone knows the Patriots, and it's just it's just a, it's a much higher. It, it, and plus, it's easier to it's easier to understand. Uh, 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 basically, mucking around with uh, with equipment is probably easier than talking about uh, using masking software to to hack into this particular site and to to cover your tracks. It's it's just easier to understand. Now, one of the big events that we have here coming up is the uh, the Rio 2016 Summer Olympics. And, you know, I'm heading down to Rio in a few weeks, and there's just so much excitement uh, kind of going on, especially in the city of Houston with Simone Biles, who is just a, a standout gymnast in Spring, Texas. Uh, you know, it, it seems like she's constantly at the top of the podium at every single international and U.S. competition. Again, she'll be headlining the U.S. gymnastics team, which will uh, compete in Rio in August. And I'm curious, you covered her. Uh, you've been covering her for a while now. And have you seen a talent like Biles before? And how good can she be in terms of, I guess, having a lasting impact uh, going beyond the Rio 2016 Olympics? Lasting impact is difficult to say because the sport consistently evolves every four years because they change the uh, the scoring rules and the, the manner in which uh, elements are combined to come up with the, the point totals. Uh, I'm sure there will be another athlete that will come along that will take the take the sport perhaps in another direction. Simone is is is, is quite different from Nastia Lukin, uh, who was the the 2008 uh, all around gold medalist. That's how, that's how the sport has evolved over the last eight years from from a more uh, balletic sort of style to a more physical style, and perhaps it will go the other way uh, uh, in the next quadrennium. Who who knows? But uh, but for her time, she's she's the most dominant athlete in the sport that that I've certainly seen in the in the sixteen the five let's see one two three five Olympic cycles I've been I've been writing about the sport. How much of an impact do you you know does someone like Martha Caroli, who has you know the training center up in Huntsville, how much of an impact does you know the Caroli family have in terms of creating the elite gymnast and in, in terms of you know allowing the U.S. to not only compete at a high level but 
have these international stars such as, you know, Gabby Douglas or Simone Biles or Nastia Lucan? I don't think that the Corollis have so much created the style and that they, they've, they've created a, uh, a mechanism that allows, uh, uh, allows gymnasts to continue to train at home. Uh, in the past, you would have Carrie Strug would move to Houston from Arizona. Mary Lou Retton came to Houston from, uh, from West Virginia. Now, now these young women are able to, to train at home if they like, although some, some move around the country. Uh, uh, but they're able to train uh, at home, be with their families, be with, be with the coaches who uh, who brought them up. And in terms of Simone's case, she's been dealing with Amy Borman, her coach, for ever since she was a, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. So uh, basically that degree of familiarity uh, and, uh, enables them to develop at their own pace, but yet they're still able to come together every month at the ranch and, and have some sort of... Uh, structure that their coaches can take back with them to uh, work on, on daily activities to determine here's, here's, here's where you need uh, help as, a, as an athlete, here's where you need improvement as a coach. So they're able to to work the system in a way, and work the system is a pejorative term, and I, but, but maybe so they're, they're, they're able to work through the system uh, to, uh, to come up with a degree of, uh, of uh, consistency and a degree of success that's Pretty much unprecedented in the sport uh, uh, since the uh, the days of the the, uh, the the Soviet domination in the 1960s and 70s. So obviously we are a Houston podcast first and foremost, David, and we appreciate Houston athletes. And you guys over at the Chronicle have been doing uh, it looked like a series on other Houstonians who are going to be representing the U.S. Uh, in the Olympics. So for guys who are looking for like a, a local rooting interest, who else should they be keeping their eyes on in Rio? There are a few. Uh, we have uh, Chris Chris Brooks as another gymnast. So Chris, Chris will be on the men's gymnastics team. Chris is from the Cypher area, trained at Cypress Academy of Gymnastics for many years. Uh, fencing, we've got a couple of fencers, Courtney and Kelly Hurley, who are Houston natives who grew up in San Antonio but who have been back in Houston training for the last couple of years. They're both former Olympic medalists. Uh, Cassidy Cook, the, uh, the former world uh, Spring, junior springboard and diving champion will be uh, going to the Olympics after narrowly missing out on, on the London Games. Uh, I think she's certainly someone to watch. A couple of swimmers, uh, Simone Manuel, uh, who's from the Fort Bend County area and uh, is now attending Stanford University. Camille Adams, a former Texas A&M swimmer who uh, is uh, the two-time uh, national champion, two-time NCAA champion of the women's 200-meter butterfly. Uh, two five-time Olympians, Glenn Eller, uh, a shooter, a shotgun, a double-trap shooter, who will, was a 2008 gold medalist, will be competing in his fifth Olympics. Uh, Steven Lopez, who's probably the greatest taekwondo fighter in the history of that sport, a two-time uh, uh, gold medalist, will be competing in his fifth Olympics uh, as well. Uh, those are those are those are those are the ones that come to mind just off the top of my head. There, there are a few more. We have Sarah Robles, who was a a weightlifter who uh, has been training in Houston for the last couple of years, and uh, we'll have some some uh, some local track and field people. Uh, 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 there'll probably be about 12, 12 to fifteen uh, people uh, from Houston or who train in Houston, depending on how you want want to use that that definition. Who will who will be there? So there there'll, there'll be something I'm going, going pretty much going on every uh, every 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 day. Uh, uh, Karen Clement is a track and field uh, uh, athlete from 
from Laporte, he's a former gold medalist. He's been training in Florida for many years, but he he will be at the another Olympics, and uh, uh, we'll have we'll have seven days of Simone Biles if if, if, all, if all goes according to plan, including their their podium training session, and then as we've said, Simone has the potential to win as many of as uh, four of the five individual gold medals that will be uh, handed out in women's gymnastics. So that will be an interesting series of things to watch during the first week of the Games. I think it's fascinating how many standout world-class athletes the city of Houston actually produces, whether it's from the NFL to Major League Baseball to several of our uh, Olympic athletes that we will see in Rio de Janeiro here in August, uh, headlined by uh, Simone Biles and uh, Cassidy Cook from the Woodlands. And uh, David, you are a phenomenal follow on Twitter, whether it's covering uh, you know the big events going on in sports, uh, the Olympics or sports media here in Houston. Uh, what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you on social media? Uh, what what is what is my Twitter handle anyway? <laughs> it's I believe it's at D at, at DF Barrett if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> you could you could click on that and see the picture of my latest Sheltie. So that's that's a that's that's always a big deal. He's a cute little dog if you like dogs. <laughs> and I'll uh, I'll obviously be filing from uh, from 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 Rio uh, as, uh, as as things get underway. And that's that's the best the best way to keep in touch with me. And then. Uh, stories will appear at cron.com and houstonchronicle.com for uh, the latter being for subscribers, cron.com being the free site. And we'll, you can't, there's, there's not much you could do with video from the Olympic site because of a variety of issues, but we'll be able to probably send a few videos from news conferences and things like that. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to be running around for, for four weeks and uh, letting people know to the degree that I can what's happening uh, happening in Rio. Well, David, we definitely appreciate you joining us this week on the Weekly Brew Podcast. It's been great. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Closing time. Another great episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast. And again, this has been the 53rd installment of uh, what I think is Houston's best podcast. But thanks again to uh, Coach Gary Patterson from TCU for joining us on the podcast. I thought that was just a uh, phenomenal conversation with uh, one of uh, the greatest coaches in college football in terms of uh, defense and what he's done with the program over the last uh, 16, 20 years, you know, dating back to his coordinator days. But also thanks to uh, David Barron for joining us for the Houston Chronicle. It was kind of uh, interesting to talk with him about the uh, the fallout after the uh, Chris Correa hacking scandal and also providing a little bit of excitement for the uh, the local Olympic athletes that are going to be competing in Rio. So uh, thanks again to both Coach Patterson and David Barron for joining us this week. Those guys are both superstars within their respective fields and uh, we were fortunate to have them and glad to have them. They were both terrific interviews and I got to say you know I did a little bit more research about Coach Patterson leading up to the interview with him than I had just you know kind of what I knew about him and he has uh, an impressive longevity, impressive record and a really fun guy to talk to too. So we very much appreciate you coming on Coach Patterson. Yeah, despite the rivalry between Baylor and TCU, I, I have a lot of respect for Coach Patterson. I really want to really thank him for coming on. Uh, he did a great job, and I, I really enjoyed uh, the interview and our subsequent conversation about Big 12 expansion. It's got me, got me really excited about the season. Yeah, Coach Patterson got me really excited about Big 12, uh, the possibility of U of H uh, being in the Big 12, and it was just great to learn more about TCU and the program. I'm really excited to see uh, the Horn Frogs this upcoming season. Yeah, and hopefully, uh, you know, we, we, we appreciate Coach Patterson coming on, but uh, we wish them success in all games except uh, when they play Baylor uh, in November. So, Sikkim Bears, BGOD. Uh, but uh, thanks again to uh, both Coach Patterson and David Barron for joining us. And uh, David Barron, who's also been with the Chronicle for, what, 26 years. So he's uh, a, a guy that knows his stuff in Houston. He'll actually be covering his fifth Olympic Games in Rio here in a few weeks. But uh, uh, one, one thing that we want to do is uh, it's kind of our favorite time of the week. Kevin's favorite time of the week, and that's uh, iTunes review time. Mm, let me savor it for a moment. It's so good. 
because we have one this week. And actually, not just from anyone. This is from uh, Ali KB, which uh, he reached out to me personally. It's Ali Khan Bajani at Rockets underscore insider on Twitter from last week. Uh, a great guest. It's a terrific guy who covers uh, the Rockets basketball uh, efforts and also the NBA as a whole for hardwood paroxysm. And he was not only a terrific guest, but left us a review. So, uh, Mr. Barron, Coach Patterson, take note. Uh, that's what a really terrific guest does for us. And he said, uh, the review is just titled Podcast, which we are a podcast, so that's good. That's fine. I'm fine with that. This podcast does a phenomenal job of discussing and analyzing various topics and issues, and I love the sports interviews every week. I'm sure, especially when he was on, we love our sports interviews as well. Thank you, Ali Khan, and again, all of our listeners should go follow Ali Khan at Rockets underscore Insider on Twitter for all the Rockets updates. Yeah, so make sure if you listen to the show that you go to iTunes and give us, uh, you know, feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us uh, show ideas or, you know, potential guests or topics that you would like us to discuss, and we will definitely take that into consideration. So, Ali Khan, you are the Weekly Brews favorite listener of this week and uh, Jeremy you had something to say yeah I think uh, Kevin had some indirect fan contact uh, while at a restaurant here this weekend fan is such a strong word I would never describe anyone that listens to this show as a fan I've never encountered a single person who I would describe as a fan but I was at Salada uh, as you guys know I'm a, a big fat hog and I'm trying to eat healthier work out a lot so I've been going to Salada and uh, there was a lovely young woman there named Madison who uh, I'm kind of a regular now and she endeavored to learn my name and my occupation and when I told her I was a sports reporter she said oh are you on the radio and I was like Sort of. Is this, yeah, it's kind of like on the radio. I mean, I've been on the radio before. I have a podcast. She's like, what's the name of it? And I was like, The Weekly Brew. And she's like, oh, my God, my dad listens to you. And so um, I'm already used to that. I already feel like a celebrity now. So I just, I, I sort of expect that that'll happen more in the coming months. And I'm looking forward to it. And I got to tell you, if you reach out to me and you recognize me, I'll be very gracious to you. Uh, I'll take pictures. I'll sign whatever you want. Uh, I'm all about that. So thank you to Madison at Salada near me. And I hope if, you're, uh, if your father's listening to this one that he heard this as well. <laughs> I think uh, I think Kevin is actually going to pay people to uh, take his autographs. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks to uh, Madison and uh, the folks at Salada, and I guess her her father for listening to the show. But uh, you know, if you want to keep up following us, you can also search for us on social media. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We post great content there. Also, subscribe to our website weeklybrewcast.com. But uh, we had a fun episode this week, and again, special shout out goes to uh, Coach Gary Patterson of TCU and for David Barrett of the Houston Chronicle for joining us on this week's episode. But uh, we. We hope you enjoyed episode 53 of the podcast. And for my co-hosts this week, Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxson, and Dolores Lozano, my name is Austin Staten. We'll see you next week. And guys, remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do this week, always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 